the clubbers who are learning your word. We pray that you would work in their midst. Lord, I pray tonight for those who cannot be with Lord, again, I ask you to fill me with your spirit, enable me to teach this word, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, this matter of the glory of God must be understood and it must be guarded with all diligence. It's a serious thing to violate the glory of God. I'm afraid that in our culture, even in our churches, we've become just a little too casual with God. Uh, we, we forget about His awesomeness, His holiness. And we kind of deify man in the day we live and we humanize God. But this chapter stands as a stern warning not to allow anything whatsoever in the place of God. Israel couldn't get this. They could not get this. And you say, well, that's Israel, but do we do this today? I believe we do. In modern day, idolatry is when someone puts anything between him, her, and God, but also when someone depends on someone or something more or something for which they should only depend on God. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the mega millions or whatever, two, $2 billion someone won. And someone says, I said they won, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that after. This was not class participation time, Bill. $2 billion. And the statement was, wait, man, if I had $2 billion, I would never have to worry about anything. That money would be in the place of God. If we know God, do we really need to worry about anything? No, we don't, but we still worry, don't we? God is serious about this matter of His glory. He is serious about this matter of His glory. And I think we live in such an entertainment culture that we constantly have to be entertained and that God's glory sometimes in our actions is not enough. God is going to lay out for us His glory. He's going to tell us that His glory will He not share or give to another. He is going to present to the nation of Israel and to us through the word his glory as revealed in the Messiah, his son. Again, we go to the New Testament, we read, he came to his own and his own received him not. They didn't receive, they didn't see the glory of God. Jesus standing before the people said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the express representation of God the Father. And so he then makes them a promise and he deals with those who violate 
His glory. So let's look into the text in verses 1 through 7. This is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. The others can be found in chapters 52 and following. We'll get there when we get there. I'm not going to tell you because you won't remember it now, but when we get there, we'll, we'll deal with it. The first of four servant songs in Isaiah. Notice he says in verse 1, Behold, this is God speaking, my servant whom I uphold. My elect, one in whom my soul delights. Now, if you have a new King James Version or a modern translation, you will notice that my servant is capitalized, which is a reference to deity. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice my elect is capitalized, both my elect one is capitalized. It's in the, I'm in the New King James Version. It is capitalized to help us understand its deity who is talking about. He's speaking about Messiah, Jesus. He is telling them in Isaiah's day about his servant whom his soul, his elect one, whom his soul delights. God the Father delights. Remember when Jesus came up out of the water after his baptism and the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In whom my soul delights. Matthew chapter uh, 17 in verse 5, if you'll allow me to, it's probably be on the screen, but with my glasses on, I can't see the screen up there, so I'll turn in the scriptures. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved soon, son, excuse me, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. It's interesting how God so weaves the prophecies of the Old Testament with the fulfillment in the New Testament. It is clear His servant, it is clear His elect one, it is clear in whom His soul delights is Jesus, the Messiah. But some people will say, well, Jesus is not in the Old Testament. Have you not read? He's all over the Old Testament. Notice... He says, I have put my spirit upon him. My spirit upon him. In Isaiah chapter 11, if you'll allow me to go back there, and it's important that I run these references so that you see. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, he says, speaking of the branch of the stem of Jesse, he says, which we know who is Jesus, the spirit of the Lord shall rest Upon him. It's overwhelmingly clear, Isaiah 61 61, for the Spirit is upon me. Jesus quotes that in the New Testament. And see, he gives us the aversion that, that fa in fact, that verse is about him. In verse 2, he will not cry out nor raise his voice 
nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Verses 2 and 3 have to do with Jesus' first coming when he came into the earth as a meek and patient servant. But know this, when he comes a second time, he will not come that way. He will come as the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Now, if you were to look with me in Matthew chapter 12 to further substantiate what we're talking about, in verse number 15, the scripture says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Jesus applies the words of Isaiah to a fulfillment of his earthly ministry. So the prophet of Isaiah is pinning these words that God has given him and God is establishing that he will not share his glory and he does so by presenting his glory in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 4, he will not fail nor will be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. When will he establish justice in the earth? At his second coming. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth, that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. Verse 5 and 6, God speaks directly to the Messiah. Notice in verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you, capitalized, in righteousness, and will hold your capitalized hand, capitalized your I will keep you, capitalized, and give you as a covenant to the people. We read in Galatians, he was promised uh, to Isaiah and, or excuse me, to Israel and her seed, the seed was Christ. The promise, the covenant is through Christ, through those who would believe in Christ. And he stands and he says God's role as creator in the basis, his role in creation being the creator, that's the basis for certainty of him fulfilling his will by the servant, Jesus the Messiah. Just as I stretched out and created the heavens and spread forth the earth, I've called you. 
I've called you. You will be a light to the Gentiles. You remember when they take Jesus into the temple to have him circumcised? And Simeon picks up Jesus and he looks at him and he says, A light to the Gentiles. And he says, in essence, my, my uh, saying this, he said, My eyes have seen the glory. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. The glory revealed in the person Jesus. What was Jesus to do? Verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. If I were allowed to go to Matthew chapter 4, nobody's stopping me. I guess I should say, if I were allowed, uh, let's just go there. Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 and following, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand this parable? I'm in Mark. Excuse me. I need to go to Matthew. I was going to say that didn't make sense. Verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Aren't you glad being a Gentile that the light shone on you and your eyes were opened and your ears could hear? You could see. Jesus applied this teaching from the prophet Isaiah to his miracles in Matthew chapter 4, what I just read. He applied. That's part of the eye-opening to the blind. And God emphatically says in verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Can we stop for just a moment? How much is enough, church? How much do we have to do in a church for people to understand. Is not the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ enough? Is it not enough that Jesus Christ came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross to pay for our sin debt, was buried and arose from the grave, and is willing to give salvation to those who who believe by faith alone, plus nothing in Him, how much is enough? Do we need the light shows? Do we need all of the pomp and circumstance? Is the glory of God revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ enough? I say it is. For He will open eyes 
He will cause men to see, but we have to share Him. We have to preach Him. We have to promote His glory. But we're too busy glorifying ourselves, making names for ourselves. And He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. I mean, we think of people bowing down to these carved images as ridiculous. I mean, I would, wouldn't you? I mean, somebody going to pray to a short, fat Buddha guy. I mean, come on. That's about ridiculous. Yet people do it. Uh, Catholic Church. How many times have you seen? I'll never forget, we were at the Mount of Beatitudes, and they have a, 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 a Catholic church there. And just so maybe you don't know this, but the Catholic church owns a lot of historic uh, holy sites in Jerusalem. The Catholic church owns. And so we're in there, and they got all these people kneeling and lighting candles before, in front of Mary. And one fellow will say, well, you know, we just feel like that if anybody can get an answer from Jesus, it would be Mary, his mother. He's not going to tell his mother no. So when we pray to Mary, we're merely asking Mary to help us with our request. They say that. That's what I was told from a Catholic. <laughs> you know the Bible teaches that we can boldly go to the throne. We bypass Mary. We don't need Mary. We do not need Mary. There is idolatry going on today. They're lighting candles and bowing before an image. I mean, at one point that somebody was trying to sell a pancake or a piece of toast with the image of Mary on it, on eBay. And some person probably bought it. But God's not going to share His glory with anyone. And guys, we've lost our reverence. For a holy and righteous God. We've lost our reverence. We've become, if I can say this, pardon the expression, chummy with God. And may I say to you that if you read the scriptures, anyone who encountered Almighty God was changed not only emotionally, not only physically, but also spiritually. God will not share His glory. And His plan is His glory would be revealed through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to wonder if you're listening to someone, if they're right biblically or not. If you listen to a preacher and the preacher never mentions Jesus, I would venture to say he's probably not a real preacher. One prominent preacher who has a huge church preached on the benefits of drinking water. Let me tell you what the benefits of drinking water is. Don't go with water for 20 days and you'll find out how beneficial it is. Don't fill up God's glory and His time with stupid stuff like that. We really need to return to the glory of God. Notice what he says. i got to say this. No, verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. God says right now, 
this part, this far in Isaiah, there have been prophecies that have already been fulfilled. But get this. And new things I declare to you. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Before Jesus Christ ever was, came to this earth, the people of Israel were told of him specifically. When Jesus comes onto the scene, repeatedly he goes back to Isaiah. They'll ask Jesus a question. And Jesus would answer with the prophet. His answer was telling them the answer to their question. And many a time you will catch them not responding. You'll see them getting angry because they picked up on it because they knew the word. They knew the Old Testament. They knew that he was claiming to be God. He says these new things. I'm telling you about the Messiah before he comes. You see, by presenting the Messiah and declaring he will not share his glory, he is telling us that his glory has been revealed in the Messiah. No one has seen God at any time. But if Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The glory of God. The glory of God. Yeah, it's something to make a big deal over. It's something worthy. Now, immediately after this, the Lord calls, or there's a call, and notice what he says. Verse 10. The proper response to God's glory is praise and worship. I find it interesting because <clears throat> my granddaughter, I got a video last night, and I know how grandpa I'm, I'm, I'm learning this grandparent thing. I mean, it's the greatest thing. You watch this video, oh, this is wonderful. And she's, ah, you can't tell what she's doing. She's dancing, singing. But you can tell she's singing, but you don't know what she's saying, right? But it's wonderful. And you watch it again. Let me watch that again. Let me watch that again. And uh, some of you all know what I'm talking about. You're there. You all are experienced about this. Um, but we've never sat her down and said, Now, Sophia, this is how you sing. Right? The problem in our land today that we're not really worshiping the Lord is because we're not seeing Him in His glory. The natural response to seeing the resurrected glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the automatic is singing to the Lord. Singing to the Lord. And uh, I, I think it's, it's something that, that's important that we understand that singing is not something that's worldly. It was, it was so with the Lord long before the world caught on to it. And how many of you have uh, gotten up in the morning and you heard a song and that song was in your mind all day long, right? Or you were, talk you were talking to someone and someone was singing that. And you said, now why'd you do that? Now it's in my head and I'm going to sing it all day long. 
Paul told the church at Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The natural reaction to the glory of God is singing to the Lord. Instruments are wonderful. I love them. I do wish I could play them. But you know what? God put an instrument in you. It's called a voice box. And man looks on the outside. Man says, boy, that guy couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. But God sees your heart. He sees your heart. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. That that encapsulates everyone. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The wilderness and its cities. You remember when Jesus came down riding on the donkey and people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he said, hey. The uh, Pharisee said, hey, tell your people to stop singing. Tell them to stop shouting that. And he said, if I tell them to stop that, even the what? The rocks will cry out. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The creation sings. Why does a tree creak, creak when it goes in the wind? Why? Could it be that creation is singing and worshiping the glory of God? Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. There's a direct connection with the glory of God and praise from your lips. Give glory to the Lord. When you see Jesus in all of His glory, the proper response is worship. Worship. And I... To me, it does not matter what type of music you like, whether it's Southern Gospel, whether it's contemporary, whether it's hymn, piano hymns only. Some churches don't even have music. I, I hate that for them, but that's their prerogative. I'm not going to say they're not worshiping because they don't have... That's between them and God. I don't know. I got enough to worry about myself. But the point is, those who understand the glory of God, declare His praise. There's no other option in the Scriptures. Those who understand, those who see, those who are not blind, those who realize the glory of God, they declare. God says in the next few verses, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help my people. Look at verse 14. It's interesting, he starts with the glory of God revealed in Christ, 
the response to that glory, and now the promise that I'm going to help you. But guess how he helps them? In the person of Christ. Look with me, verse 14. I've held my peace a long time. I've been still and restrained myself. God is saying, I have purposefully, since the creation, not intervened like I wanted to in the affairs of man because I have an appointed time. Galatians 4.4 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, that's when the Messiah would come. Jesus came at just the right time when God wanted him to come. It wasn't like, well, no, not today, uh, not today, uh, not today. Today, no. God had a plan from before the foundation of the world. The scriptures teach us, Ephesians teaches us that. And in the fullness of time, Christ came. God said, I've restrained enough. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers and coastlands and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them. All this as he's going to do. The crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images. So verse 16, there's a transition from 16 to 17. In verse 16, uh, 14 through 16, he says, I'm going to do this. How will he do this? Has he done this yet? He has not. It's when Christ comes back the second time. He's going to make all this new, all this right. But those who reject... Verse 17, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are our gods. The promise is not for them. The fact that they would say that reveals they don't have the promise. Verse 18, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect? And the blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does not hear. His servant goes, and we know that he came to his own, and his own received him not. Why? They were blind and deaf. And I would venture to say dumb. <laughs> and God says, look, in verse 21, I am going to uphold my righteousness by punishing those who reject my glory. See, in this land we live in, we want to talk about love, and love is important. Don't get me wrong. And we want to talk about grace, and grace is important. Don't get me wrong. But there is a side of God that we must declare, and that is the wrath of God, the justice of God. And those who reject Him, 
God, the scripture says, God will uphold his righteousness by exacting his wrath on them. He's doing right because they rejected him. He's doing justly because they rejected him. Verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. It's for his righteous sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes, and they are hidden in prison houses. They are prey, and no one delivers. For plunder, and no one says, restore. We know that immediately, sometime after this, the people were taken exile into Babylonian captivity. They were robbed. They were plundered. They were snared in holes. They were hidden in prison houses. They were prey, and no one says, restore, restore them. Those that rejected the glory of God faced the punishment of God. Verse 23 asks, Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Verse 24, Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord? God says, You know who it was that sent them to be plundered? Who gave them over to the robbers and the prisoners? It wasn't this great Babylonian empire. It was me. I did that. Oh, you you can't say God would do something like that. He is righteous. And His righteousness is upheld by punishing those who reject Him. He against whom have we sinned? For they would not walk in His ways. Therefore, He has poured on Him the fury of His anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know, and it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. Man, I think of that, and I think of how terrible that must be, but then I think of the eternal destiny of those who reject the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. There is a literal burning fire, and it will burn him, He did not take it to heart. This matter of the glory of God is a serious thing, as I have shown you. And if I may, four things quickly about what we can learn from this. Number one, I would say this. God will not share His glory with anyone, period. And I would say this. Don't test Him. Has anyone ever been told, don't try me (laughs) when you were growing up, huh? Don't you try me. God will not share His glory, period. Don't test Him. You, and I'm not calling you a fool, you are foolish if you think you can reject the glory of God and get away with it. If God 
exacted his punishment. His anger was poured out and his fury was poured out on his chosen nation because those in that nation rejected him. He will do the same to us. Number two, the only response to God's glory is praise and worship. So worship him. Worship him. I found myself sometimes periodically going back and listening to songs I listened to when I, when I grew up. Um, I was, had Noah and Drake, I was taking them to school, and I was like, guys, listen to this song. I started listening to it. I said, no, don't listen to this song. Uh, because when I was younger, I never paid attention to what the words said. But now that I have kids, for some reason, I pay attention to what the words say, and I say, I can't believe that song was about that, and I didn't know it. Right? At least listen to, well, I ain't going to say that. I don't want to tell. But I, there's a noticeable difference in my life when I listen to songs that worship and glorify God. There's a whole big difference in my attitude. There's a whole big difference in the way I conduct myself and behave myself. When I was a kid, the big thing, we came home from church camp and we had a big uh, bring all the records and you, you all remember, you're a primarily older crowd. Uh, you don't understand what records are. We took all of our records and burned them. We had a big burning. Some of the parents got mad because they spent a lot of money. Um, now, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, what I'm talking about is simply worshiping God. Listening to the songs that cause me to attribute worth to Him. That's the only response to God's glory. Number three, God will help His people at the right time. Trust Him. Trust Him. Abraham could probably tell us a little bit about this. I wonder... And this is my speculation. Year after year, I wonder how often he thought about, you know, God promised me I'd have a son. And then, of course, when he, uh, Hagar comes and, and Sarah says, well, you know, hey, just conceive with her. And they had a child and he did what she said. And, you know, that was sin. It wasn't God's plan. He had to wait until it was almost a hundred I am 51, and the thought of having a child right now sickens me. I get that pit in my stomach. Anyone else with me? You know, thank God it was for Abraham, not me. But the point I want to make is Abraham waited. And I'm sure in his waiting, there was a lot of worry. There was a lot of questions. God will help his people if you trust him. Sometimes we don't give God a chance to work something out. We jump in and make a mess out of it before. I love this passage of Scripture in Galatians, especially this time of the year. We're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ pretty soon. In Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come. Let me put that in our vernacular. At just the right time. 
I heard a preacher say, it's not original of me, I can't remember which preacher it was. He said this, he said, God is never late. Sometimes we just get there early. That's pretty good, isn't it? Number four. God will uphold his righteousness by punishing those who reject his glory. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm amazed. There was a whole story about a church in Kentucky that handled snakes. Right? And it's like the one fellow went to church with a girl. He'd never been gone to church before. And he went into church and he sat down. And he had to come in the front and sat in the back. And he was sitting in the back and he said, what's those boxes up there? And she said, well, that's the snakes. And he said, what's snakes? He said, yeah, well, we worship, we get the snakes out. And he said, well, where's the door in the back? She said, there's not one. He said, where do you reckon the preacher wants one? But this is a true story. This guy in Kentucky, there's a whole church down there that handles venomous snakes. I, I, I watched, you can go on YouTube and watch it. And the fella was dancing around with a snake, has been bitten a few times. He literally, the pastor died from snake bite. And the point I want to make is this. If you handle a snake, you will be bitten because that's its character. There's enmity between man and the serpent. And it will bruise your heel. Ask my dad. He's, he was bit by a copperhead when he was about eight years old. Now, you cannot reject the glory of God and get away with it. It's like a million times worse than playing with a venomous snake. You will be disciplined. Don't do it. Don't do it. Glorify God. This is why I'm so adamant about, and, and I know that people have varying opinions, but this is why I'm so adamant about not having pictures of Jesus in the church. Because people look at that picture and they say, that's Jesus, but that's not Jesus, it's a picture. In my office downstairs, I could go down and get a big portrait about this big, painted by my uncle, my I guess my ex-uncle, who decided he was going to paint and took up painting. And he painted Jesus, supposedly Jesus, in the garden, praying on a rock. It's a beautiful painting. It's not displayed on my wall. It's in my office as a family gift, but I won't display it because of that. And this is something I'm adamant about. You don't have to agree with me. That's fine. But the glory of God is something so serious, I would not attribute it to man's drawing of him. We worship Christ as revealed in the scriptures. But we don't get that in our churches today. A care, careful perusal of some sermons, you hear people talking. I heard one guy, you know, he was trying to be cool and hip, which if you have to try to be cool, which means you're probably not really cool. And um, he was talking slang, you know, and he was like, yo, JC. And I'm like, who's JC? And then it dawned on me, he's talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about what the Bible says at the very name every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. You think John on the Isle of Patmos was like, hey, J.C., when Jesus came? Lord, no. 
when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. And we've got all these churches that want to argue about, why don't we argue about the glory of God? If you want to argue over something, let's argue over the glory of God. That's something worth fighting for. And that's the point of this message. He will not give His glory to another. Worship only Him. Lord, we love You. We thank You. We, we 